Sounds like you got into a good conversation. Where are people going on to road trips? Everywhere. You're going to drive from here to Alaska? Okay, well, someone, Anna will have to help you with that one. That's a long drive. All right. So earlier, um, one thing I didn't mention, is, and I want to make sure I celebrate, is that this documentary on Tuesday was produced by my husband, JD. And it, yeah, of course, I'm very proud of him. And some of you are getting, as you're getting to know us, you don't realize, like, where is that guy? He's in the control room. He runs all the video and stuff, or he's on the worship team, pretty much. So <laughs> grateful for my mom and my mother-in-law to sit next to me. Otherwise, I'd be all by myself. I'm so grateful for him, and I'm very proud. So would you consider coming on Tuesday to be able to, to watch that work? It's an important conversation for us in our church. Um, JD and I have only been together for about seven years. We met seven years ago. And that meant that we met each other and started dating in our 30s. And we're in our mid-30s. Let me tell you, by then, we both knew what we were looking for. Okay, so by the time we were going out, like, it, it was pretty obvious this thing's going to probably happen, you know. Didn't take long. Maybe three months in, we decided to take a road trip, short road trip, up to the North Shore to see the waterfalls. Who's gone up to see all the waterfalls in the North Shore? Oh, they're so beautiful. And many of them, you don't have to go that far off the road. They're so gorgeous. And I decided on the way there, it was time for the L word. Some of you know where I'm going with this. So we had uh, our camera. We were taking pictures, posed by the waterfalls. And I grabbed JD's camera, and I, I said, oh, you posed by the waterfall. And I said, what face would you make if you were being goofy? And then he just made a goofy face. I said, oh, what face would you make if you were sad? And he made a sad face. Just, I don't know. That, I don't know if I thought that was cute or what. And then I said, what face would you make if I told you I loved you? And this was it. He was excited. I know. I couldn't resist to just blowing his face up on here. This is great. And he made that face, but let me tell you, qu pretty quickly, he kind of looked a little bit sad. And I was like, he said, I love you too. And I said, oh, this is great. This is happy. And he said, well, I was planning on telling you first that I loved you at the waterfalls. <laughs> that's what he says. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, what, he, that's what he claims. That's what he claims. <laughs> But we got back into the car, and uh, I think it was planned out in his mind, too, because we got back in the car, and he's like, okay, I want to put on this album from Over the Rhine, one of his favorite musicians. He says, I've always thought I want to play this whole album for the woman that I love. And we had to sit in silence. I mean, not uh, in silence, but I was not able to talk. <laughs> to listen to all the songs in a row. It was very romantic. And then what happened next, I think, surprised us both. He starts sharing, and out comes his thoughts about our wedding and our life together, where we might live, honeymoon ideas. I'm not kidding you. And some of you might think, oh, man, this is going to be really going to freak her out. But I'll tell you, I was here for it. Wasn't expecting it, but I was ready. I was into it. And it's such an, a good example of why I knew I love JD, because this is the kind of guy that he is. You know, so by the time we were back in Minneapolis, driving back, he had picked out his wedding party. He had picked out top three locations for our honeymoon. He had picked out the song I was going to walk down to the aisle to, of course, from Over the Rhine. And he had picked out the band that was going to play at our reception by the time we got back to Minneapolis. Let me tell you, about one year from that week, I walked down the aisle to that song. And standing up on the stage were those people he named. And we did dance at our reception to that band. That's what happened. And I think about that road trip, and I think about this. For JD, saying I love you was not just a feeling. 
It started a chain reaction of a life shift that was completely life-changing. It wasn't merely a word. It was a life shift. It altered both of our realities in a powerful way. And I'll tell you this, neither of us have ever been the same since then. And we're having this conversation about what God is like and how we bear the image of God. And we don't have to wonder what God is like because God told us. In Exodus 34, 5 and 6, these last few weeks, we've been talking about how God gives us this description of God's character. It says this, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, who he's speaking to, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, God spoke these words to Moses knowing he would bring those words down to the people. And when God spoke these words about God's character up on the mountain, it started a life-changing, life-shifting chain reaction in the universe. It wasn't merely words. It was a shift in reality in a powerful way, and humanity has never been the same. It wasn't merely words. And this week, we're going to talk about this fourth description of God here in this description, and it's full of loyal love or overflowing with loyal love. God is full of overflowing loyal love, or in Hebrew, the word is chesed. And this description, full of loyal love or overflowing with loyal love, is not even sufficient for what this Hebrew word means. In all of my years of studying biblical Hebrew, this is in my top two favorite words in Hebrew. And I believe that if we are willing to receive what it means that God is overflowing with chesed for us, and we receive that, it will be a life shift that will not only change our lives, but change the lives of everybody around us in a powerful way. And so each week we've been looking at these beautiful videos from the Bible Project on the word study. And so today, would we watch this video on the word chesed? If you tried to describe what God is like, it could be difficult or daunting. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently described God's character in this way, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. We're going to look at this fourth phrase, loyal love. It translates the Hebrew word chesed, which is hard to translate into any language because it combines the ideas of love, generosity, and enduring commitment all into one. Chesed describes an act of promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care. Like in the story of Ruth, Ruth is a foreigner married to an Israelite man, but tragically her husband dies along with his brother and his father. All Ruth has left is her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi, who has nothing to give her. Naomi tells Ruth she should go back to her people, but instead Ruth promises to stay by Naomi's side and take care of her. And as other people watch Ruth keep this promise over time, they call it an act of chesed. Notice that Ruth's chesed is not conditional or based on Naomi's worth. Rather, it's an expression of Ruth's character. She just is a generous and loving person who keeps her word. That's chesed. Now, Ruth's loyal love is truly inspiring, but the one who shows the most enduring chesed in the Bible is God. Like in the story about Jacob, who is a treacherous liar even to his own family. But despite that, God chooses him and repeats the promise he made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, that he would have a huge family through whom God would restore his blessing to the nations. And so 20 years later, when Jacob realizes how undeserving he is, he says to God, I'm not worthy of all the chesed you've shown me. 
and he's right. But God's chesed was never about Jacob's worth in the first place. It's a display of God's generous loyalty to his promise. God's chesed continues into the story of Jacob's descendants, the Israelites. When they're enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt, we're told that God remembered his promise to Abraham and Jacob, so God defeats Egypt and raises up Moses to liberate the people and lead them into the promised land. And in the story, this is called an act of chesed because it was about God keeping his word. Now, on their way to the promised land, the Israelites are scared of the nations around them and they doubt that God can protect them. So the people threaten to kill Moses and appoint a new leader to take them back to Egypt. God is understandably hurt and angry, but Moses steps in and says, forgive the sin of these people because of your great chesed. Notice that Moses asked God to forgive, not because the people deserve it, but because it's consistent with God's own character. And God agrees, and he recommits himself to a people that don't want to be committed to him. In the Bible, God is loyal and loving for no other reason than it's just who God is. Of course, he wants his people to respond with chesed in return, but even when they don't, God's chesed remains. The prophet Hosea compared Israel's chesed to a morning mist that's here one moment and gone the next. But God's chesed is enduring. Like in the celebration of Psalm 136 that opens by saying, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, and then 26 times repeats, his chesed is forever. And so, after centuries of Israel betraying their commitment to God, and after humanity's long history of violence and death, God still kept his promise in a dramatic and drastic way by becoming human and binding himself to us in the person of Jesus. And the people who followed Jesus of Nazareth said that in him they encountered the God of Israel who is full of loyal love and faithfulness. Jesus is the ultimate loyal and loving human. And in his life, death, and resurrection, God opened up a new future for all of us and for all of creation. And God did this because it's just who God is, generous, loving, and eternally loyal to his promises. And when we experience the purity and power of God's loyal love shown through Jesus, it compels us to reimagine why and how we can show chesed back to God and to the people around us. This is what it means to say that God is overflowing with loyal love. So what is God like? God is overflowing with chesed, loyal love. This word occurs 245 times in the Hebrew Bible or in the Old Testament. And out of all of the times that it's mentioned, 75% of the time, it's referring to God's chesed for humanity. This is something that I just thought was so crazy to me. There is no known language that has a direct translation for chesed into that language. Isn't that cool? It combines three concepts, and I think that's why it's so difficult to have a direct translation. The first concept is love or affection. The second is generosity. And the third is enduring commitment. And because of this, it can be translated into lots of different words in the Old Testament in different translations. Even in the same translation, it might be translated as different words. So it's actually difficult to see just how often chesed is when you're reading it in English or in any other language. Those three concepts coming together, I think, is what leads to the complexity, but I also think it leads to the beauty and the power of what this word means. So first, God is overflowing with love. 
This is clear in the Hebrew context that this is affection, that, that the God of the universe has affection for us. So in this way, hesed is a feeling. God is overflowing with generosity. God is freely giving of all of God's self to the world that God loves. Everything that we have is God's. And so in this way, chesed is an action. And then third and finally, God is overflowing with enduring commitment. God is one who sticks with us even when we don't stick with God. God is steadfast and loyal and faithful. And so in this way, chesed is a trait, a character trait of God. So chesed, love and affection, a feeling, generosity, actions, and enduring commitment, a character trait. Isn't that deep? I mean, that's deep for one word, very common in Hebrew. These descriptions of God's love in chesed is woven throughout the Bible. So in 245 places in the Old Testament, I had to decide what scripture should we dig in today. And so in honor of Mother's Day, I thought we should go to the prophets. My mom can't be the only one that reminds me of a passionate prophet. Please? Okay. Somebody's like nudging their mom. Okay, that's good. We're going to look today in Micah. This is one of the minor prophets, Micah 6. And while we're talking about this beautiful word, chesed, it's pretty interesting how this chapter is titled by the NIV as God's case against Israel. Yikes. And this chapter begins, again, with words from the Lord, just like Exodus 34, but instead of God speaking to Moses to talk to the people, God's speaking to the prophet Micah to talk to the people, and that's a that's hundred years later from when Moses heard those words from God on Mount Sinai. Micah is the sixth book in what's called the Twelve Minor Prophets. Um, the book of the Twelve, it's often called in the Old Testament. And so I'm just going to read through a few parts of it, and let's just unpack it together. Let me read the first two verses, Micah 6, 1 through 2. We'll have it up on the screen. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. There it is, the case against Israel. The people have turned away from God again. Again, the people have turned away from God. They've been committing injustice towards each other and towards the world that God loves. They had been worshiping false gods, and Micah was trying to warn them because of God's love. If you keep going in this direction away from me, you're going to end up in captivity, eventually in exile in Assyria. And so Micah continues on in this case to the people in verse 3. My people, what have I done to you? This is God's voice speaking through Micah. How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balsam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Why is, why is God bringing up what God had done in the past? God wants the people to remember what God has done for them. Because of God's chesed for them, God had rescued them again and again. And so God is saying, remember what I have done. Why would these people have turned away from God again with 500 plus years of rebellion and injustice? Now, it'd be good for us to dig into what is it that God is specifically accusing the people of through Micah. What, what is the specific injustice that Micah is calling out? God speaks through Micah specifically to call out those among the community who had become very wealthy through theft and greed. 
people who had become very wealthy through theft and greed. Listen to how theologian Tim Mackey describes what was happening. I'll put it on the screen. The leaders and the prophets at the time of Micah have worked together to create grave injustices. They run the land with bribes and bend the law to favor the wealthy, depriving the poor of their land, their security, and eventually their hope. This is all in violation of the laws of the Torah, which declared it illegal to sell land belonging to families, including poor ones. It seems like it shouldn't be okay to sell the land belonging to someone else, right? Basically, Micah is calling out the leaders of Israel for creating unjust homelessness. That's what's happening here. Amongst the people who are the most vulnerable among them. And I have to say, I think of this description that Tim gives here, and I think it looks familiar to some of the spaces that we find ourselves in our world today. There's places, right, where leaders are working together to hoard power and to be able to gain wealth because of it. We've seen that. There's some laws that really favor the wealthy, and those who are poor and the marginalized are crushed under the weight of broken systems. We see that around us at different times. Tuesday night, if you're able to make it here to this MB documentary, you will see how familiar and the context is in our world that the people we're facing here that Micah is calling out. We will be able to see how housing in our city and the crisis around housing is a prime example about how pro broken systems crush the poor and serve those who already have much. Also on Tuesday, just a bonus, you could have a chance to meet our very own Sue Watlove Phillips. She's the founder of an organization actually named MICA. It stands for the Metropolitan Interfaith Council on Affordable Housing, and she's going to be here to share about the work that they do too. MICA the prophet here is telling God's people that they are in violation of the Torah. So when we talk about violation of the Torah, that might seem a little weird to us. What would that mean? It would mean we could understand it as going against the heart of God. They were going against the heart of God. And what is the heart of God for the world? Well, God loves the whole world. God loves you and me and all of us, no matter what. But what we see in the story of God is that God's heart always bends deeply in the direction of the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed. As you look through the story of God, I mean, this could be a whole other sermon, but let me just say this. If you look through the whole story of God, you'll see these themes throughout Scripture of God constantly advocating for the poor and the widow and the marginalized and the foreigner and the outcast, and Jesus goes in that very same direction. God's compassion, these words we've been talking about, God's compassion and grace and patience and love and faithfulness is poured out on the people who need it spiritually. But I would suggest it's poured out even more on those who need it physically. This is the heart of God. So in this part of Micah chapter 6, God exposes these unjust economic practices of Israel's leaders that are destroying the people, but it's also destroying the land that God has given them. And God has a request. What does God want the people to do about it? The people have participated in all this evil. What is God's request? Well, Micah starts out, Kind of sarcastically, I would call it sarcasm, where it's kind of like maybe what God's not exactly asking you to do more of. And I think Micah in verse 6, if you're with me, uh, he's speaking and he's kind of saying, I think this is what, how people might respond, maybe a little bit sarcastically, okay? So here's verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord, as though people are trying to make it up to God? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Pretty hyperbolic, right? (laughs) Most of the prophets are pretty hyperbolic. It's a way of making a point, right? It's like they're saying that the people would say, what can I do to make it up to you, God? What can I do to, to, to fix it? Do you want me to worship more? How about I bow down to you just a little bit deeper or bring you some more sacrifices? What, God, what could we do to fix the injustices that we have participated in and caused? How about a thousand rams to sacrifice or maybe if I give you my firstborn child? That's the hyperbole, right? Is this what God wants? It's not. It's not what God wants. It's not that all those things are bad, you know, worship and sacrifices at that time, but that's not what God wants is just more of that stuff to make up for what has happened. It says very clearly in verse 8 these words. He has shown you, God has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God doesn't want more worship services. Those, 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 those things are good, but God doesn't want more ceremonies and more animal sacrifices. God wants them to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. Now, I imagine I'm not the only one here who has verse, that verse Micah 6-8 memorized. I heard that it's a few of the mom's favorite verses, and so I'm going to talk to those moms. But that's a beautiful verse, right? And a lot of people have memorized it. If you haven't before, it's, it's a popular one. And I want to be honest with you, it's been very meaningful for me. But let me tell you this, it took on a whole new meaning when I realized something. Look at this. What does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love chesed and to walk humbly with your God? Remember when I said it's kind of a struggle to translate chesed into English? This is a spot where I think it really is too bad that we had to settle for one word instead of this deep description of how we bear the image of God and God's heart for the world. So let's try to just unpack it and understand the depth of meaning this way. I'll put it on the screen. So what does the Lord require of you? What does God want from you? To act justly or to make wrong things right in the world around you. To love or to desire chesed or deep affection, commitment, and generosity towards God and others. And to walk or to live your life humbly with your God. So then perhaps here's my clear interpretation. This is my interpretation for today. What does God want instead of your worship and your sacrifices? That you will join in making wrong things right in the world around you. Desire to have deep affection, commitment, and generosity towards God and others. And to live as humble people following God. Doesn't exactly roll off the tongue the way we typically quote Micah 6.8, does it? (laughs) But that's it. That's the depth of this popular scripture. And I look at this, I mean, just look at this for a minute. Look at this description. I look at this and I think, this is impossible. This is impossible. God, you want us to make the wrong things right. Have you seen how much is wrong? God, you want us to actually want to have desire and affection for these people, uh, you know, and, and commitment and generosity towards others because I have some questions. Who actually is constituted as others? Is there a footnote for those people or not? Do we have to want to deeply be committed in generosity and affection for the people? Lord, are you sure that we can't just do the thing where we add a few more worship services? Because that could be easier. 
Maybe we could do the sacrifices thing again. We could bring that back. I mean, thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil does seem like overkill. But we could add a few more quiet times and some more worship services on Sundays. We could attend a little bit more. No, no, this is not what God wants. God loves the time that we spend with God and the worship time. But I think this is what is so clear that God's heart is for us. And I look at it and I think this is impossible to do. It seems impossible to me. So perhaps Micah should have put it in a different order and started out with the walk humbly with God thing. Because it's going to take some serious humility and power of God for us to be able to do any of this. Jesus emphasizes this in John 15 when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? Jesus doesn't say, apart from me, you can do okay stuff, but it's really better with me. Like, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Micah 6.8 is a really cool bumper sticker until the rubber meets the road, and we actually have to love the people right around us and the world, and then we have to have this strength, and we don't have it. When God spoke through Micah, God knew that we couldn't do this. God knew his loyal love would have to sustain us if we were going to even have a chance. God knew that. And so God made a way where there was no way. And God came into the world and showed us what chesed looks like with skin on. Jesus is compassion, grace, patience, chesed love, and faithfulness personified. Jesus, God in the flesh, the incarnation of Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The only human to ever perfectly live out Micah 6.8 is Jesus. How can we deeply know the character of God? Because we see it in the words and the works and the ways of Jesus. And so I, I do want to encourage you today. It is Mother's Day after all. Encouragement. Come on, Pastor Steph. I believe that the impossible chesed love is actually possible. It seems impossible, doesn't it? And I'm just being honest. But I do think that the impossible is possible. And I think that the scripture that we did looked at today encourages us in three different ways. The first one is this. The impossible chesed love, generosity, commitment is possible because God first loved us. God's affection for us sustains us. God's generosity for us gives us the ability to be generous. God commits to us. Look at Exodus 34, 6 again. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God is abounding, full of, or overflowing with loyal love, with chesed love. God is overflowing so much so that God has so much, it's overflowing out of God's heart into ours. The only way it's possible for us to love like that is when we're actually loving with the love of God. It gives us a chance to actually live reflecting this chesed love, generosity, and commitment to God and others. This is our only hope, <laughs> to let that overflow pour over our lives to the people around us. So here's our question for today. Will we receive the overflow of loyal love that God has for us so that we can reflect God's loyal love to the world around us? So I want to ask you a question then. And I'll be honest, I know that this is a, a difficult question for some people to answer, so you don't need to answer it out loud, but this is, this is an honest question. In the moments when you're all by yourself, just you and God, alone with your thoughts, your most honest moments, do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe, truly, that God has 
deep affection for you. That God even likes you. That God likes you. Do you believe that God loves you? Yes, you. Yes, me. With all of our failures and fears and our doubts and our imperfections. Will we receive the overflow of loyal love God has for us so that we can reflect God's love to the world around us? Because chesed isn't merely love like you love your favorite food or you love putting flowery words on a card. This is not hallmark love, right? This is not even drive up to see waterfalls professing your love and then drive down planning your wedding love. That is very deep love. But this love of God, this chesed is so much deeper than that. The chesed love that God has for us is endlessly wide and long. It's endlessly high and deep. The love God has for us always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. There is nothing like it. And so I just earnestly ask you again, do you believe that God loves you? Have you received it? Will you intentionally receive it? And I think on a daily basis. I think it doesn't have to take a long time, but some time to just pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to show you how God sees you, to open your heart in that posture of openness and let that love shape who you are. This is something we all have to do. None of us are exempt from struggling at times to wonder if God truly loves us, but God does. And then we can let that love be what overflows out of our lives onto the people around us. Okay, the second reason impossible chesed is possible is because God created us to live out chesed together. Micah 6.8 is barely worth even attempting all by yourself. Let me just tell you that right now. Have you tried making wrong things right by yourself? Have you tried basically staying committed to anything without community? How far does one act of generosity go when it's just a single effort or multiple single efforts by one person? In the beginning of Micah 6.8, we see this phrase. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Who uses the word mortal? I don't know, it's just strange, but he has shown you, O, o mortal. In our individualistic culture, we miss that this is written corporately. Okay, so it would sound more like this. God has shown all you humans what is good. And what does the Lord require of y'all? Do you guys know y'alls in the Old Testament? It's a lot. It's in there a lot. Mortal should actually be humans or humanity. God has shown you humanity, what God's heart is for you. God invites us to receive overflowing loyal love and reflect that love together. We weren't made to live Micah 6.8 out alone. Maybe that's why it's so frustrating when we try. This is just so deep for me. So I, I thought of two examples that are really fresh in my mind for obvious reasons you'll see. Uh, last year in 2022, I had this year where huge privilege for me to travel, to dig deeper into my passion for racial justice. Many of you know that's a deep passion of mine. I got to go near and far and I will be di digesting for the rest of my life what I learned from the, the indigenous communities here in Minnesota to walking the streets of Selma, Alabama, and even to standing where Nelson Mandela was imprisoned in South Africa. What a privilege that I got to do that. But in every setting, let me tell you this, when justice actually did roll down like a mighty river, like Dr. King loved to quote from Amos 5, it was hundreds 
and thousands of people who worked together to join God in seeking justice for people of color in these places. Hundreds and thousands of people. And almost all successful times that a wrong was made right was achieved through the principles of nonviolence that are taken from the life of Jesus. We weren't made to live out Micah 6-8 on our own. Second example. 14 years ago, many of you know, our church helped birth an organization called Every Meal that covered the weekend food gap for kids in schools, sending food home on the weekends for the kids who are struggling to know if they'll have food every weekend. And last year, they hit their 10 millionth meal. And it was so exciting. We wanted to celebrate that. But isn't that the most tragic statistic you could imagine? 10 million meals in just a little over a decade because that's how hungry kids are in our city? And this last week, it was announced on CARE 11 that five family foundations came together and they offered $1 million match because the goal is to raise $2 million this summer. Why? So that every meal can stop saying no when schools are asking for help. They want to be able to say yes to every school because almost every school says, we know who those kids are. That is a wrong that needs to be made right. Look how many people it takes. Every time a kid doesn't get a meal that they need, that's a wrong. Look how many people coming together to make a wrong right for every kid in this situation. These are just two examples. I just want to say we were not made to live out Micah 6-8 on our own. In the little ways and the big ways that we display God's generosity to the world, it matters to God. But what we see is that we were created to love and serve together. So when we come together around all the different things that we're passionate about, the things that break God's heart, when churches work together and partner in different ways, we see that we were created for love and generosity and commitment together. Finally, the third reason that impossible has said is possible is because God's loyal love endures forever. It's not just a cute phrase. Forever. While we will fail time and time again to reflect chesed to the world, there is always another chance and another and another for us. And we have an eternity with Jesus where we get to receive that love and reflect that love back to God. When it comes to God's kids, that's us, right? When it comes to God's kids, God has the long view in mind with us. We are a work in progress. God knew that when he spoke through Moses to the people in 700 BC, and God knows that about us now, that we are a work in progress. Jesus has done everything possible to conquer death and sin so that we can know that brokenness is not the end of the story. Brokenness is not the end of your story or mine. It doesn't have to be. If we receive the grace and compassion and love that we've been talking about, that God has for us, if we trust Jesus as our leader and our savior, then the long view is forever with Jesus. And let me tell you about that forever. All the wrong things will be made right. And there will be no more pain or suffering or injustice or feeling unlovable or outcast or lonely or oppressed because Jesus is going to make all things new. God's love endures forever. So if we're going to do this, if we're going to reflect the impossible chesed love of God, it will be made possible because of Jesus. We will need to intentionally, like I said, put into practice receiving affection and generosity and commitment from God 
if we're going to be able to offer affection, generosity, and commitment back to God. And sure are going to need it if we're going to reflect that back to the world that God loves that is in desperate need of these things. So today as the worship team comes up, we're going to end with a spiritual practice. Uh, Of course, communion that we always do and worship, those are spiritual practices too that we can use every week to receive the love that God has for us. But today I want us to practice the, the spiritual practice of confession. And I want us to do that because it's a way for us to be honest with God that we know, we know that we fall short of all that God wants for us. We know that we can't live out God's chesed love without God's love in our lives. And then we say to God through confession, we want to receive your love. We want to receive your forgiveness so that we can live out what love actually means according to who you are and who you made us to be. And we want to live it out together. That's why confession corporately is so important. So we're going to read this confession. It's actually one that we've read before at Mill City as a part of our community. But this time we're going to keep God's chesed love at the center. Do you remember in the video they mentioned Psalm 136 and how it says God's love endures forever 26 times. God's chesed endures forever. And so we're adding that into our confession today so that we can remember that at the center of all that we bring to God in our confession, we have the ability to receive the love God has for us. So if you're able, would you stand and we'll read this confession on the screen together before our time of worship. Yeah. 